This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peach Street Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4, we will begin our reading verse 5 and read through verse 31, the end of the chapter. Before we begin, just a brief word by way of review. Uh, Jeremiah begins, as we saw in chapter 1, with uh, Jeremiah's call to the ministry, call to be a prophet, spokesman for God, and uh, God's intention to use him in a ministry that will be both a declaration of God's judgment on his wayward people, but also a message of God's grace uh, to his people as well. So a message both of judgment and of hope. Chapter 2 uh, is basically an indictment. It is God's complaint against his people, his, his, uh, his grounds for uh, his displeasure with them, and their, particularly their, their waywardness, their spiritual adultery in turning not only to the pagan religions of the nations around them, but also turning to the nations around them for political alliances rather than trusting in the Lord. And then in chapter 3, uh, up to the first part of chapter 4, we saw how the Lord comes to his people and invites them to return. In fact, that word occurs repeatedly, uh, that the way back is through acknowledging their sin, turning from their sin, and returning to the Lord. But if that does not happen... If they refuse to repent, they pursue their own ways, running from the Lord, sinning against the Lord, breaking their covenant with the Lord, then their way becomes difficult indeed, as we see here in chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Hear the word of God. Declare in Judah, and proclaim in Jerusalem, and say, Blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud, and say, Assemble! And let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. For this, put on sackcloth. Lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. In that day, declares the Lord, courage shall fail, both king and officials. The priests shall be appalled, and the prophets astounded. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying it shall be well with you, whereas the sword has reached their very life. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind from the bare heights and the desert toward the daughter of my people, not to winnow or cleanse. A wind too full for this comes for me. 
Now it is I who speak in judgment upon them. Behold, he comes up like clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims trouble from Mount Ephraim. Warn the nations that he is coming. Announce to Jerusalem, besiegers come from a distant land. They shout against the cities of Judah. Like keepers of a field, they are against her all around, because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Crash follows hard on crash. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? Well, my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil, but how to do good they know not. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert. And all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. For this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. At the noise of horsemen and archer, every city takes to flight. They enter thickets, they climb among rocks, all the cities are forsaken, and no man dwells in them. And you, O desolate one, what do you mean that you dress in scarlet, that you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, that you enlarge your eyes with paint? In vain you beautify yourself. Your lovers despise you. They seek your life. I heard a cry as of a woman in labor. Anguish, as of one giving birth to her first child. The cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands. Woe is me, I am fainting before murderers. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you having read this dark passage. We pray, oh God, for your grace and for your light as we study it together that we would learn from it, that we would profit by it, because it is your word, and because it is truth, and because it is reality. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it hasn't taken us very long in our series in Jeremiah to cover some topics that are unpopular in our day. We've looked so far at the topic of sin, chapter 2. 
the, the topic of repentance in chapter 3. As we said last time, the word repentance doesn't occur there, but the very idea of repentance, which is to return, the word occurs eight times. Well, why look at these kinds of things? Why talk about sin? Why talk about repentance when we could talk about other things? How to manage your money, how to raise your children, you know, how to do well at work, so forth. Why not talk about more upbeat topics, things that would make us happy, things that cheer us on? Well, the reason we talk about things like sin and repentance is because the Bible does. In fact, you could say that that's one of the central messages of all of Scripture, is our sin and what we must do about it in light of God's holiness and in light of his provision for us in Christ. Uh, Because these things matter, not just for this life, but for all eternity. And they are relevant to us in a way that we truly need, relevant to our deepest needs, our eternal needs, our spiritual needs. Other things, yes, are helpful, and the Bible is certainly full of many cheerful and comforting passages. But sometimes we need to hear the hard truth, and Jeremiah certainly delivers it to us, 16 ounces to the pound. The scriptures deal with ultimate questions, and sin and repentance are ultimate questions, but so is the topic of tonight's passage, as we just read it. And that is the topic of God's judgment. Another not-so-popular topic, uh, not topping the top 40 charts and pulpits across America today, the judgment of God. But that's what we're going to look at tonight, because that's what Jeremiah speaks to us about tonight. And basically, if we wanted to, to encapsulate the message of this passage, a lot of verses, a lengthy text, but if we wanted to summarize the message that Jeremiah has for us here, it is this. The wicked, even those wicked within the visible church, are under God's judgment. The wicked, especially those within the visible church, those with their names on the rolls of churches, are under God's judgment. Because we need to be reminded of Jeremiah's audience. Jeremiah was not preaching this passage. God did not give him this vision regarding the pagan nations around them. Jeremiah was preaching this message. God had given this vision regarding his own people, regarding Judah, regarding the city of Jerusalem. Did you not catch that in the very first verse? Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem. Yes, there were those within Judah, those within Jerusalem who knew the Lord, who had a heart relationship by his grace. But there were plenty of people in Jerusalem and Judah who counted themselves the covenant people of God, who by birth and association and membership were part of what we would call in that day the visible church, the visible people of God, the Old Testament form, and yet were as idolatrous and rebellious and unrepentant as any of the pagan nations around them, and were all the more guilty for the light that they had been given. Let's not forget, Jeremiah directed his message at the church of his day. And dear friends, as we look at the professing church in the United States today, you don't have to look far to see those who promote 
unbiblical perversities in the name of Christ. Jeremiah's day is not all that different from our own. The scriptures tell us that judgment begins with the household of God. And so we need to learn not just what this says to unbelieving, wicked people all around us outside the church, although it does speak to them too, but what this word says to the church, what this word says to us. Well, the wicked inside the church, outside the church, are under God's judgment. Now, verses 5 through 18 tell us that the wicked face a certain judgment. It would be very easy to think that that's just an abstract idea or an obsolete idea, a holdover from darker, earlier days. Maybe judgment will never come. Maybe everything will go on the way it always has. Well, Jeremiah's message is no. Uh, In his day... True, in our day it's true as well. The wicked face a certain judgment. Look at verses 5 through 18. In the first place, he emphasizes that this judgment that is coming is very real, and it's something to flee, something to run from. Look at verse 5. Blow the trumpet throughout the land. Cry aloud and say, Assemble, let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not. For I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He's gone out from his place to make your land waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. Jeremiah is not saying this may happen. Could happen. Might happen. He's saying this is going to happen. Now, what he's saying is somebody needs to, to sound the trumpet, sound the alarm that the enemy is coming, uh, that these... This force is coming. Now, it's, it's unspecified here. Who is it? Could be Assyria. Could be Babylon. Interestingly, both made use of the image of the lion in uh, their artwork and in national symbols. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. Now, as you may know, it ultimately was Babylon that came against Judah and eventually uh, captured Jerusalem. Uh, it was Babylon, although at this point it's unspecified in this vision that Jeremiah has and that he, he specifies. Raise a standard toward Zion. In other words, uh, send up a signal. It might be a reference to uh, signal fires, you know, in the day before satellite telecommunications. Uh, often they would light a fire as a, as a warning, and in the distance another fire station seeing the fire would light their fire, and so in that way, uh, an alarm could be sent over a great distance very quickly that the enemy was coming. The lion has come out. The destroyer of nations has set out. Well, judgment is coming. It's certain it is something to flee, but it's also something to lament. Look at verse 8. For this, for this judgment, put on sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. What's the response? Well, one, to take it seriously and flee from the wrath that's coming, God's wrath as expressed in this enemy that uh, quite literally would come and uh, capture his people. But the response to that all too often in Jeremiah's case was laughter, ridicule, rejection. And yet it was not something to be rejected or ridiculed. It was something to lament. It was a very real thing that was coming. Put on sackcloth, that rough cloth designed to irritate the skin as an expression of grief. Lament, wail, 
Because it's not just a foreign enemy. It's not just a political and military enemy. But it's the Lord himself. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. This certain judgment, it's something to flee. It is something to lament. But, as Jeremiah goes on, it was also something that will surprise. Look at verse 9. This is an interesting statement, uh, especially verse 10. But in verse 9 it says, In that day, declares the Lord, courage shall fail both king and officials. The priests shall be appalled. The prophets astounded. In other words, this is going to undo these structures of, of Jerusalem. King, officials, priests, prophets. All of it is going to be dismayed, all of it undone. Verse 10, Jeremiah himself says, Ah, Lord, surely you have deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, It shall be well with you. Whereas the sword has reached their very life. What's he saying? Kind of interesting. Jeremiah saying to God, You deceived us. You said all is going to be well, and it's not. Well, it's a little bit hard to know exactly how Jeremiah means this. Does he mean it ironically? Because there were those false prophets, many of whom opposed Jeremiah, who said, no, Jeremiah's got it all wrong. Jeremiah's missing it. God has promised peace. God has promised safety. God would never let the enemy come into Jerusalem. Jeremiah's all washed up. So there may be, this may be said with some sense of irony. It may also be said because maybe Jeremiah himself, despite his own message, hoped he was wrong and hoped maybe those false prophets had it right. Because as we shall see, that Jeremiah is not detached from all this. His heart's very much wound up in it. And it's a painful message, not only for those who heard it, but for Jeremiah himself. But judgment is something that will surprise. First thing we learn here in this text is that the wicked do face a certain judgment. It may be a long time coming, but it will come. The New Testament speaks to this quite plainly, Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, because just as that, that judgment eventually came on Judah and Jerusalem, A judgment awaits this world, and a judgment awaits those who may profess Christ, and yet their disobedience, their idolatry, their waywardness reflects a heart that doesn't know him. But this whole question of judgment, 2 Peter 3, verse 3 says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You see, Peter declares essentially the same message that Jeremiah did. The judgment of God is there, that it is coming. Uh, And in fact, a far greater in, in, in both its intensity and duration and scope than that judgment that came upon Judah and Jerusalem in Jeremiah's own lifetime. So the first thing that we need to learn from this is that there is a judgment coming. And the wicked, which is all of us, apart from Christ, apart from uh, our being forgiven in him, the wicked are under uh, God's certain judgment. But there's a second truth here that 
uh, speak that Jeremiah speaks to us regarding judgment, and that is that the wicked face a just judgment, a just judgment. Look at verse 19. Not verse 19, verse 11. Sorry about that. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind from the bare heights in the desert toward the daughter of my people, not to winnow or to cleanse. A wind too full for this comes for me. Now it is I who speak in judgment upon them. Uh, as Jeremiah says this, he's describing the Sirocco, the wind that comes blowing down, this hot wind. And in fact, too, too, too strong to be of any use. He refers there to the winnowing and to the cleansing. Um, winnowing, of course, taking the chaff and scattering it up in the air. And uh, a gentle breeze would, would separate the husk, the lighter chaff, from the heavier grain, which would fall down. This wind is too strong for that. This wind... Uh, blows the grain away with the with the wheat. The wind too full for this comes for me. Now it is I who speak in judgment upon them. Well, he goes on then to speak of uh, Jerusalem and its and its waywardness. Verse thirteen: He comes like the clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind, his horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. And he goes on and speaks of this appeal in verse 14. Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? And the certainty of that judgment coming in verse 15. Dan was in the north. Dan was up near the headwaters of the Jordan River and would be aware of any approaching force. Uh, Mount Ephraim as well, a little farther south, warned the nations that he is coming, announced to Jerusalem, besiegers come from a distant land. Shout against the cities of Judah, like keepers of a field, they against her all around, for she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. It is a just judgment because of the rebellion, uh, this hot wind as it's depicted coming against the people. Your ways, verse 18, and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. Verse 18, your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. Here's an interesting proverb. I've pondered this. I've shared this with you before. Uh, verse uh, Proverbs 19. In fact, I was reading it this morning because, well, today is the 19th. Verse 3, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Notice, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. We have a very hard time saying, yes, I deserve this. Yes, I brought this upon myself. Well, that's what Jeremiah is saying here. This is a just, a deserved judgment. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter. It's reached your very heart. Now, it's self-inflicted, but just. It's what they deserved. It's also gut-wrenching, but just. Notice Jeremiah in verse 19. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. When we come to verse 19, we come to Jeremiah's own reaction 
to what has taken place. Um, and, and literally, he says, my bowels, because people of that day tended to, we talk of the heart, they tended to associate strong feeling with the bowels. But I chose the word gut-wrenching because we sort of have that in our own language as well. If we say something is gut-wrenching, we mean it's creating anguish. It hurts. It's painful. It just causes a knot in our stomach. And that's basically what Jeremiah's saying. It is gut-wrenching. The laws of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. He's just palpitating. I cannot keep silent. I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, the crashing, land laid waste, tents laid waste, curtains are gone. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? It is gut-wrenching, yes, but it's just. Again, verse 18, your ways and deeds have brought this upon you. Verse 22 I think is the Lord responding. When Jeremiah says, I'm in anguish, the Lord comes back to him and says, verse 22, For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. Yes, the Bible uses the S word. I know your children may take exception to that, but stupid does occur right there. They are stupid. They're dense. They they have no understanding. They are wise, God says sarcastically, but wise in doing evil. They don't even know how to do good. So it's it's self-inflicted and just. It is gut-wrenching, yes, but it is just. And as he continues in this passage, it's also thorough, but just. Look at verse uh, 23. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. Sound familiar? Genesis chapter 1, what we have in effect here is is a description of the undoing of creation. In other words, God is going to bring in his judgment this chaos that basically reverts everything back to its primitive state. Uh, It is without form and void. Uh, A lot of fun to say in Hebrew. Uh, Tohu vabohu is empty and without form in Hebrew. Uh, And to the heavens, and they had no light. Again, a reversing of creation, a reversing of order. Uh, the upheaval. I looked on the mountains. Behold, they were quaking, and the hills moved to and fro. And I looked, and behold, there was no man. All the birds of the air had fled. Behold, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were in ruins before the Lord in his fierce anger. A thorough judgment described in terms of this cosmic undoing, this reversing of creation, restoring everything to this chaotic and empty uh, where there was light, now there's not light. Where there were men, now there's no man. Now where there were birds, they're gone. Where there was uh, vegetation, now it's just a, a bare desert. Everything being undone. It's like it's like watching the creation in reverse, and it's all getting undone. Thorough, yes, but just. But also, verse 27, that says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. It will be but partial, thorough but partial, not final. I will not obliterate. There were, there were those who survived, those who continued in, in Babylon uh, and returned to begin to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple and start over. Uh, and then the intervening centuries eventually came uh, the Lord Jesus out of uh, that remnant that was, that was left 
Verse 28, for this the earth shall mourn, the heavens shall be dark. Uh, some would render that, put on, put on mourning clothes, put on black mourning clothes. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. A thorough judgment, and yet it is just. So, self-inflicted and just, gut-wrenching, but just, thorough, and yet not too much. It is, it is just, it is what the wicked Deserve. And whereas it is partial here, it will be final for us. The final judgment, the return of Christ, will be complete, will be all-encompassing, will not leave a remnant for another day uh, when God comes in his final judgment. So it's a certain judgment. It is a just judgment. The wicked also face a lethal judgment. Look at verse 29. As the noise of horsemen and archer Every city takes to flight. They enter thickets. They climb among rocks. All the cities are forsaken. No man dwells in them. The picture here is the, the armies coming across Judah and the people fleeing the cities, running from the cities, departing, except for one. Verse 30, And you, O desolate one, speaking here to Jerusalem, what do you mean that you dress in scarlet? Adorn yourself with ornaments of gold. Enlarge your eyes with paint. Well, here everyone's fleeing from the army that's invading. And Jerusalem is prettying herself up for another liaison. But that's not what the nations are coming for. In vain you beautify yourself. Your lovers despise you. They seek your life. Their, uh, their goal is not love. It's death. Her death. And we get that depicted graphically in verse 31. Uh, we read it earlier in the ESV. I want to read it to you in the New Living Translation. I have my reservations about the New Living Translation, but I think their rendering here of it is it really gets the tone of it. I hear a cry like that of a woman in labor, the groans of a woman giving birth to her first child. It is beautiful Jerusalem gasping for breath and crying out, Help! I'm being murdered! It's not that she's giving birth. It's crying out as if she were giving birth with the pains of labor. She's not giving birth. She's being killed. I'm fainting before murderers. I'm losing consciousness as the blood flows. That's the image here. Dressing up for another occasion for harlotry. And yet the nations are not coming for her favors, but for her life bringing death. And so on that note, the chapter ends. The bad news for us today is that the judgment of God is coming. Refer back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see, the New Testament carries the very same message that Jeremiah carries. The message of God's coming judgment on the wicked. It is a certain judgment. It is a just judgment. It is a lethal judgment. That's the bad news. But the good news is that for the Christian, that day of judgment has already come and gone. Because you see, all of the wrath of God, the wrath that Jeremiah depicts here, was poured out upon Jesus on the cross for his people, 
for all who have believed in him. If you are a Christian, for you, brother or sister in Christ, that day of judgment has come. God's wrath, all of it as it's depicted here in Jeremiah, has already been poured out. And so for you, the terror of judgment is gone. God accepts you, and he loves you in Christ. Jesus took all of the judgment of God represented in Jeremiah, represented in Second Peter, upon himself for you and for me. Because you see, understanding God's judgment not only helps us understand what everything is coming to, but it also helps us appreciate all the more what Jesus endured for you. What he endured for me. You see, as I said before, even last week, if you take away an understanding of sin, if you take away an understanding of repentance, you take away the capacity to understand God's grace for us in Jesus. And if you take away the teaching, the biblical teaching of God's judgment, you diminish the appreciation that we have for what Jesus went through on the cross, what he himself suffered for you, for me, that we might be saved. And so, in a sense, we need to take to heart this message of judgment, if only to, for the Christian, help us to appreciate all the more what God has done for us in Jesus. If you are not in Jesus, this judgment's for you. The words of Jeremiah are not an exaggeration. The words of Jeremiah are not hyperbole, and certainly the words of Peter are not. The judgment of God is coming. We will all stand before him, give account to him, reckoning before him. And if you were not in Christ, you're standing on your own record. A record of sin, a record of rebellion, a record of waywardness, a record of non-repentance. But if you are in Christ, then what? Well, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, that to the Christian, the word of God is this. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, and as God's people we are, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You see, Jeremiah's opponents cried out, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But Peter says, for the one in Christ, God's word to us is peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is your word, that Christ has won a real peace, peace with you for us. Father, we thank you that these terrifying judgments depicted here against your people are past for us in Christ. Lord Jesus, we will never understand the depths of what you endured on Calvary's cross. Father, we recognize that the only people who will begin to understand that are not your people, but those who themselves bear that judgment in hell. They will have some idea of what you, Lord Jesus, endured for us. But we praise you, Father God, that by your grace, we will not know that. We will not comprehend that. Because Christ has suffered that for us. And we thank you, Father, that your word to us is peace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.